Hey, 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 everyone, and welcome to another episode of Honest Pod with me, Ashley McAllister. And me, Matthew Alley. And this is the Enematic 79th episode. What's enigmatic? It's a word I made up there now. Oh. <laughs> I was trying to think of another <laughs> word. But, bitch, it is five past eleven and I am tired. I know, I know. Same, do you know what? I've had a long day. Um, it's been a... Well, I've, I've done fuck all all day, but I can't... <laughs> anyway, this is episode 79. This is Yay! the number... So I've decided that every episode I'm going to... Obviously, I try and do it as best I can. So this is the number of pounds that Ashley has put on over quarantine. Number yes, 79. This is true. It is also the. I can't think of anything. I can't. I literally can't think of anything. <laughs> it's the amount of wrinkles you had to tie back with tape this morning. But as if we all uh, know, your skin is flawless. Well, listen. I can't believe we're starting this already in the podcast, but we shall. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Ed, so. Ed, I've always, uh, I'm, you know, I want people to moisturise this, that and the other. And uh, we started watching this show, um, Race Across the World, the first season, because we watched the second season recently. Oh. And I just like, I just, my TV's so Here good. Go. Like, you know, TVs these days, right? They're very clear, right? You can see a lot. Mm-hmm. It's just, it fears me. I don't want to, I don't want to look like that. I think that's what it is. How does it not fear people? They're going to have these, like all of these things just going on, like wrinkles literally from their eye to below their chin. That's mad, mm. mad, and that's my fear. But um, yeah, yeah. How's your week, Ashley? Yeah, we all get older. My week has been all right. I'm not going to say it's been a great week, but it's also like it's not been a bad week. And I don't know why. I think I've just hit another little slump. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find it. I find. I find it. I find mentally, I've struggled this week. Um, I think everyone has, bitch, whether they wanted to or not. It's a yeah. lot to take in. Too much is happening, and I. I find myself spending less time on social media um, just because idiots, there's so many idiots out there mm. um, posting stuff that are just so clearly narrow-minded, whether it be opinions that they don't think COVID-19 is a real thing or they, you know, disagreements around riots and protests. and um, I just... And then also it's it's having a bit of a reverse effect on me as well because I feel like at the minute nobody can do anything right. Um, and I've read, and I'm not, I've read examples and I'll say to you, I've read examples for example, or I've seen this video actually of during a protest somewhere in the States, graffiti happened on a bit of statue or something and people had gone out and started cleaning off the BLM graffiti then they they were three young white girls then this um, other person came up who I didn't see on camera but started calling them racist for cleaning graffiti off a statue and I was like is it getting in my head I was questioning is it getting to like beyond is that sort of microaggression hurtful in the growth to me, there's nothing racist in cleaning graffiti. They weren't 
you know, saying anything hurtful. They were just saying you shouldn't be graffitiing. Um, yeah. I 100% agree that graffiti, any sort of vandalism, isn't acceptable. I must admit. And I don't believe... It may or may not be a hate crime if someone is like, oh, they're not with Black Lives Matter and they clean it off. But regardless of the situation, it shouldn't have been there in the first place and they should clean it off if they feel like that's what they need to do. It doesn't implicitly mean... It doesn't, it doesn't exactly mean that they're against it. It doesn't... In fact, it gives no reasoning to it. They may agree, they may not, but the vandalism is not yeah. cute. It is not cute at all. But I just thought it was... It, to me, it was the woman shouting at them that they're racist for cleaning it off. That was just... It was like... The, the, I think going back to my earlier point, it's just like you can't because we after we recorded last week, we recorded on Monday, and then Blackout Tuesday came on on Tuesday, mm. and it's it leads on to a little mini topic I want to quickly talk about. Um, but we talked about on Tuesday about w- whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. Um, and you mentioned that you'd read that some people had already said that it's a bad thing on. And people were saying, don't use this hashtag, say this, or don't say anything, or, you know, and obviously there's like tweets and clips that get screen grabbed and circulated everywhere. And I've seen messages from black people say that uh, white people shouldn't have a voice, let the black people speak right now, and this is our moment, um, versus, you know, no, we all need to grow together. And um, it's just to me this week has just been so much of arguing and fighting and i've i've really really struggled so i've just tried to keep off offline Mm. um so that's my week um what about your week (laughs) honestly one other thing one other thing i did this week was i (laughs) i I trimmed (laughs) i trimmed my i trimmed my pubic hair um and um I might my balls now look like they've been through a meat grinder because the blade was to <gasps> just cut everything up. Hacks of uh, skin, blood. Is that the first time you've done it? Right. No, it's just um, new new trimmers and they're extra sharp and I had the wrong setting and uh, it was no. I, it's like a meat grinder down there. I'll That's, never have kids. Oh my god. That's actually disgusting. <laughs> it's not that bad no actually. i mean unless you're into it it's, I guess. It's, it's scabbed up nicely nice nice i mean i would say at least you're not going to be seeing anyone anytime soon but that would be the same if you did it in london and out of pandemic <laughs> anyway uh, yeah it would make no difference hmm. um how was your week matt sorry for interrupting last time no no it, you know it's the same as well like i think things are really starting to intensify in terms of the race rows um within this country um and it's quite interesting that, um, you know, you're saying like you're finding it quite overwhelming and then you just need to like lock off a little bit because you get the same sentiment with a lot of, I guess, a lot of black people. And I, I need to sort of find the balance because um, a lot of people have reached out to me. One, you, you get such conflicting advice as well. Some people like reach out to your, you know, people around you who are black and, and just offer a word of comfort or is anything you can do. And then there's some people would be like, I'm tired of having, it's not black people's jobs to explain um, what's going on at the moment and explain what you need to do. You need to do your own research and things like that. Um, so I'm kind of taking the view at the moment of 
like I'm engaging with white people that message me and want to make sure that people feel comfortable asking questions. And mm. you know, I don't know everything at all. I'm learning. I'm my my thing at the moment is learning. I'm I'm trying to do as much as I can in terms of trying to understand the current situation. I've realised recently more than ever, which I hold myself. I'm, I hold this certain level of shame. I will say that inside of myself, and an almost embarrassment that I've, I guess it's gone so far. But I've never really held politics and um, world events high in my mind because I felt like it never really concerned me. Now I can definitely use my. This doesn't need to necessarily directly affect me, but I don't think it's appropriate for me. And I'm not saying everyone, but me to say that politics is not something important to me because it literally affects and dictates our lives. And as a black person and as a gay person, there are things that just happen that, you know, you're born into. And I think that you can either choose to not engage or engage with it. And I've realized now that it's something that I need and want to do to hopefully make the world a better place. Um, because I think it's a human rights issue. Yeah. Right. In, in a lot of these situations. Yeah, I would say that I disagree with what you said and that it, it's not just your opinion. I think it's everyone's everyone's responsibility to take an active interest because nothing infuriates me more than somebody who moans about the way the society works or moans about the government um, and then you don't see them going down to vote or they say, well, there's no point mm. voting. It's like, well, that's just that's such a, a bad attitude to have. And, I, it's, you know, I made that joke or I made that comment back when... Um, uh, whenever the COVID, COVID-19, like we were all getting isolated and it was like, well, you know, staying at home should be easy because you, you know, you didn't go out and vote in favor of the NHS whenever it was your time to have your voice. And it's examples like that where it comes back and bites you in the ass. So, mm. um, I think it, I think it is important. And, you know, another a good example right now is if, um, if more people had gone out and voted in favor of, uh, a, a political party that was, you know, pushing more diversity with regards to who their cabinet members were then you know you you're moving down a journey of a more inclusive inclusive government um you know we've said often on here that in order to in order in order we said it last week in order to have like a a a full-on sort of support you need you need you need white people supporting the black people you need straight people supporting the gay people but i think in order for everyone to learn and grow together, white people need to hear a black person's voice. You know, gay people need to hear a street person's voice or whatever way you want to. Mm. We all need to be learning off each other. And um, if we have a government that's mixed and truly representative of the, the society that we live in, it will push forward a better society to live in. Yeah, absolutely. And I've never understood like political agenda so much as I have now because to me, it's quite obvious that both in America and in here, there's very much a, a divide and conquer situation. So media is very skewed to, I, I, I guess you watch it in TV shows, but the media is literally directed by the government. And I believe like, so the Madeleine McCann thing came out this week, right? This is a story that's been going on this weekend and all of the newspapers headlines had covered it except for Financial Times and The Guardian. And in my mind, I'm like, that's a clear way of trying to detract from what's going on. You know, and then they're going to say... Look over there. Yeah, exactly. And then the protests (laughs) that have been happening are going to say that this is the reason why there's going to be a spike in um, COVID-19. But it may have contributed to it, but it won't be the sole cause because I was out last week and the week before and seeing on the news, you know, beaches, um, the parks are insane. I I cycled up, right, to the park 
in, in London. And I swear to God, when I was going up at the street, you could have thought there was a street parade. Uh, the number mm. of people that were out, I, I, it was busier than a regular day. I thought there was carnival or something like that. That's how busy it was. Um, mm. It was mad. So, um, but yeah, this week has been quite intense in terms of having just a lot of conversations with people, um, watching and reading things. Uh, one thing I'd like to recommend, if you haven't already, Ashley, and this is to everyone, um, and this is what spurred me into going to the protest today and on the Sunday, because originally I was unsure about going and I was worried about mass groups of people meeting. I was concerned about health risks and I really, I was thinking about it and I decided actually not to go based on seeing the size of people um, the groups that were out. And then I watched something on Netflix called 13. Have you heard of it or seen it? Mm -hmm. I have heard of it. I've not watched it, no. Oh, my God. So we watched that on Saturday instead of going out. It really got me. It, that one got me bad. And it's about the 13th Amendment in, the, in, in America and how it's just it's skewed against black people, basically, and this, how the system was created. It is so captivating apart from the fact that the story itself is incredible it's just incredibly well made incredibly well made mm. so i would 100 percent recommend really things, yeah. i'd recommend it to you actually and then we were sitting there watching it and um i guess it's a bit extra in some way and, and i'm not even I'm, i know i'm not in america i feel like i come from a certain level of privilege for sure um but we were watching it and towards the end um i just they were showing scenes of people in um, the, the names of people that you hear now of, that have been abused and, and things like that. And I broke down because I could literally see people. I know it sounds weird, but I'd look at the screen and I saw individuals going through these times and it really just, mm. it, it, I broke down crying like in um, Ed's arms. I was literally bawling. I, I, and it was, it just, I don't know what it was. And I was like, I think I just really want to go to the protest tomorrow. Um, and I understand that I'm putting myself at risk and, and potentially others, but it was just something that I felt quite, I, I want to say passionate about then you know i felt it was really important to do because of something mm. like that um yeah so the week has been tough and i think it'll continue that way because um people are reaching out to me to help them understand what's going on as a black person and and i agree that it is tiring i agree that it's not my responsibility in some senses but i do want to provide an open ear we've always been like that you and i in general with people i think you know it's about having an open conversation i'll always want to facilitate that and not close off so yeah. I think that that's one thing that i'm trying to keep in mind yeah um 100 and it's good uh this this episode we have a guest on um and he'll be joining us in a little minute um and it's rash um rash is a Rash is a, a black police officer and he's going to be joining us to talk through, um, you know, what it's like being a, a black guy working in the Met Police. Um, he's going to talk about how, um, what it's like being a police officer in the current climate that's going on right now. And also just dropping a message of what, what, he, what, he, what message he wants people to take away about the police force and where the future of the police force might be going. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, but one other thing I want to just quickly talk about before we bring Rash in and talk is obviously with everything happening, um, around the world, uh, it's, uh, it announced that we talked about briefly earlier on that 
obviously I talk about CrossFit a lot and something that means a lot to me has changed the way that I approach my fitness, my body, like the way I eat it. You know, maybe not right now because, you know, I've got a wee bit of a, a corn tummy growing, but um, it's, you know, CrossFit's quite important to me. Um, like a, one of my best mates, he owns a CrossFit gym, he introduced me to it. Uh, a lot of my friends do CrossFit. Um, I, I spend a lot of time watching CrossFit documentaries. Um, and it's just what happened, what started to happen this week was, and, and I'm like, I'm admin in the LGBT crossfit group on facebook uh, a lot of people were talking about how crossfit hq hasn't said anything to support the black lives matter movement um it it sort of it, it became very interesting when you think about for those who don't know crossfit has a, a heavily um a heavy connection with military a lot of the stuff they do is based on military training a lot of the movements you know are in honor of what they call hero movements from like uh the navy seals and, and, and other um areas of the armed forces um and it just sort of given their history of white like a white aggression um corporation it was it it sort of sent seemed to be eerie how quiet they were um given that they have connotations with with whatever whatever area that, that crossfit stems from um but it sort of really bubbled over the last few days and there's a woman who uh she she over she works over in one of the crossfit gyms over in america and she helped crossfit hq sort of be more open and, and, and show support for the lgbtq community um, I don't know to what extent uh, she did it, but you know, they have a they have a very nice CrossFit rainbow T-shirt, which I could not get because you can't get it here in the UK. But you know, they 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 went they they were showing support, and you know, a lot of gyms do have like gay people, and it's we where there's certain groups as well, like Wad Pride, which is like I think it's in in. Um, in London where a lot of people come together every month and do like gay gay people from different gyms come together and do like a little bit of mix and greet and do a workout together and it is so it is like to me it's always been very open and supporting to, to everyone but like I was saying it, it became obvious that HQ hadn't said anything um, and then it started circulating yesterday so Greg Glassman who is the CrossFit CEO um in a response to a tweet that was about um, racism and discrimination and being um, a public health issue, the tweet basically said racism is a public health issue. And Greg Glassman wrote back saying it's Floyd-19 written as in COVID-19, which is a very distasteful, for use of a better word, pun, trying to, trying to make a joke about it which did not go down very well with within our within the lgbt groups i'm in the crossword groups i'm in um but it started to then ripple on to a lot more of the more mainstream crossfitters so a lot of the world champions and a lot of the media people who work in crossfit um they have started to tweet about it still i think at a certain point timmering around the age of being like um 
I don't know how I feel about this, but you know, this it doesn't represent what I think. Um, and then he then tweeted again today, this Greg Glassman guy saying, your field model quarantined us and now you're going to model a solution to racism. George Floyd's brutal murder sparks riot nationally. Quarantine alone is accompanied in every age and under all political regimes by an undercurrent of suspicion, distrust and riots. Thanks. So again, just just being a bit of a dick really. There's no better way to put it. He's an absolute dickhead. Um, but what is what is interesting is, like I said, a lot of the um, media people who work in CrossFit. So there's a there's a, a pair of guys who make YouTube videos and actually has made a lot of the CrossFit documentaries. They're called the Buttery Bros. They're um, they did a, they they this week launched an episode um, where they're two white guys and it's like we need to we need to educate ourselves. Their their show isn't usually politi politically uh, focused at all. It's you know it's a time for us to learn. So they brought in there's a I think he's a, a black mayor of some town in the states and they talk them to, they do a workout together and um, they then talk through the importance of hearing black voices and messages of positivity around th these troubling times. So that was really nice to watch today. Um, and then just like Rich Froning, who's like one of the greatest CrossFitters, he just tweeted there as well, just or put an in his Instagram about how he's disgusted with the responses from HQ. And it really is his, like, the stance that he's taken and um, a lot of other people have, have taken is, you know, there's two different things from CrossFit. CrossFit is the corporation CrossFit is also the community and the methodology of you know fitness and being in something together um, and they don't go hand in hand so as much as CrossFit HQ are heinous and saying some pretty office awful stuff we, we have to remember that there's um, a big community out there of welcoming you to a gym and feeling supportive and you know they don't go hand in hand um, what is interesting as well is a lot of affiliate owners have said that they will no longer be affiliating with CrossFit, which means I think every year they have to pay $3,000, which is a lot of money when you think about how many affiliates there are. Um, there's hundreds of thousands around the world, um, and they're no longer going to be affiliated with CrossFit um, or in thinking about the future of their affiliation. Um, so just to me, it just it all sparked off today. Um, and yesterday, and it just, I found it really interesting and quickly, and I just wanted to say my opinion about it before we step in, because I talk about CrossFit a lot, and it worries me that I've, I've, uh, something that I invest a lot of time in and have a lot of faith in doesn't seem to be supporting the people that need it right now. That's going to be really interesting for CrossFit. Right. I think that that's going to... Yeah. It's probably going to ruin... CrossFit, as you know it, to be fair, I mean... Well, the big brand, Reebok, who's always been a, a corporate partner of CrossFit, have announced that they are pulling out of their partnership. Mm. Um, so I don't know, you know Mick, Mickey would know, um, I think there was talks before about the future of CrossFit and what sort of brand would go hand-in-hand hand with them, um, whether it would still be Reebok or whether they'll bring in a different brand like rogue which is a crossfit or like a, a gym a gym brand or nike or somebody else but um reebok have now said that they're, they're it's not going to be them so 
it is it, it, it is it is changing and um, there's different corporations out there that do CrossFit uh, you know CrossFit style CrossFit's just the name mm. brand and the sort of it's like sellotape it's you know, it's sellotape is the brand of sticky tape like it, and we all just say sellotape rather than clear sticky tape um, so that's what CrossFit is and I, th I think the importance is the methodology around um, what you do there and what they stand for in the community or as you like to say I don't know if you say some people say cult um, uh, is, I sometimes say that <laughs> do you okay I didn't want to put words in your mouth but okay um, it, you know it, it does stand for a lot more than what corporate HQ has said mm. so but yeah the future is and to me it's just uneasy because it's something that I, I love doing in my spare time um, and I don't know how I feel about it right now so I've lost a bit of my self-identity. Oh, deep. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, Matt. So today we have a wonderful guest and here to introduce himself is Rash. Hello Rash. Hey Rash. Hello, how you doing guys? Thank you for inviting me on. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm very welcome. I'm, I'm Rashid. How's it going? No, we're really good. I'm really good. We are, this is one of the latest times that we've recorded of, um, because you got little babs to put to bed. I guess. Indeed, indeed, yes. And uh, is, this is way past my bedtime. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'll be in bed at this time. The children are going to bed at nine o'clock, nine p.m. You know. Have you guys been sleeping, sleeping more or less during this whole COVID thing? I think I've got a good structure. I think I get around about seven and a half to eight hours every night now, mm. um, and it's because I I don't have to get up as early to get at work i just get up at nine or at quarter to eight or quarter to nine and then roll downstairs for nine so oh, yeah i'm the same really i don't think i've been pretty good with the sleep like well minus i've not been working i've said before that i'm on furlough so um i, I still set an alarm for a pretty much every day just to wake up but i seem to wake up before it anyway so i'm up at like seven thirty, eight o'clock which is a bit later than a normal work day but i try not i don't want to sleep till like nine or ten p.m so mm. like 10 10 a.m yeah well, because mm. of my kids, I, I've had to make sure I just get myself into bed a lot earlier because without fail, they'll be up by sort of quarter to seven. And um, okay. any, if, I, if, <laughs> if I kind of, um, if I go too hard on any Netflix box sets or anything like that, then you get a punishment in the morning. Do you know what I mean? Just little munchkins jumping oh, on you. But it's all How good. old are they? Uh, five and two. Five and two. Oh, 9 p.m. Hold on, hold on. I, I saw, I'm I'm not a parent, and I have no aspirations at this point, considering my immaturity and lack of funds. <laughs> but <laughs> 9 p.m. for a five-year-old is that quite late, no? So 9 p.m. Go, going to bed? Yeah. Well, yeah. Usually they're going to bed around 8:30, but mm. we've had you know just a little celebration in the house today. So my two two-year-old, who's, who's turned three. Actually, yeah, three. Um, <laughs> oh. she's, she's, yeah, so she's turned three. She got very, very excited and 
ate too much birthday cake and then had cake come down and all that kind of stuff. So it just made oh. bedtime a bit more fractious, but that's all good. It's all part of the journey. The mm. mad journey that's of parenthood. Oh, it scares the life out of me. <laughs> the best part of that story was the cake. <laughs> <laughs> it was for me yeah. as well. I've been waiting all weekend to, to get tucked into that cake. Finally. Yeah. Was it chocolate based? Because I really mm. don't like, I don't like birthday cake. I don't like normal birthday cake. Um, I hate icing. Yeah. I hate royal icing. Oh, you're an idiot. Oh, yeah, no, no. Home, homemade chocolate cake. Beautiful. Ooh. Absolutely beautiful. I would take cake any way you want to give it. Chocolate, carrot, vanilla, <laughs> um, Victoria sponge, icing, no icing, jam, cream. Oh, my goodness. Anything and everything. Custard, ice cream. Yeah, Actually, right. That's an oh. absolute lie. <laughs> all gluten free all gluten free yeah. the, tr- the trouble is with um, just during this COVID I've noticed that if I'm not exercising regularly I am I, I love my food so I'm just I will pile it on so I've had to be mm. really disciplined so today even just with, with the cake I'm, I'm thinking right tomorrow's got to be a decent workout um, yeah I hear you I have put on so much weight and I literally before about an hour ago I was planning my workouts for the week and writing them in my little diary mm. so I don't forget to do them. Um, you don't forget to post I, about them and not do them, do you mean? Uh, I don't post about every single one I do. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. This is not the, this is not the time, Matt. That's <laughs> <laughs> so I need to hear your, your the podcast with um, with Mickey. Uh, I, was, I, was just, I haven't listened to it yet but I'm, I'm excited to hear what he's got to say. If he talks about any lockdown fitness. Um, it's really good because you take the piss out of Ash a lot, which is my favourite part, to be fair. Um, it was a nice assault. It's the way I like to the word I like to use. A good attack on Ashley. It, it was a hundred percent an attack. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. And I was really it it, it nourished me. I put on so much weight from that one meal. Uh, destroying <laughs> Ashley, so it was good. <laughs> Do you know what it was? You know what it was like, Rash. It was like, do you ever watch those David Attenborough programs when you have like the flock of hyenas mm. around like that little, baby, <laughs> that little baby deer that's defenseless? That's what it was. That was you. The, it was the... two vicious hyenas coming after Bambi. That's what it was. <laughs> Being pulled from limb to limb. Oh, it's harsh. Yeah. I, but you guys are vicious. I mean, Shredded. I, you guys have been. From what I've what I've heard, you guys are vicious, but obviously you love each other dearly, so it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> None of that will fly your way today. Um, so, Rash, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, yourself and and really why you're here? Because we've asked you to come on, but I think that you, I know we've had a lot of discussions um, in the past, and I know that you're. I, I believe I like the way that you're a great thinker. I know you like to think and talk about things, which is wonderful. Um, but yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. What you do. Sure. So I, um, I'm a Londoner. I'm a, I'm, I'm a black Londoner that also works in the police force. I've worked in the police force for 20 years. Um, and I joined, yes, yeah, so I joined in 2001, the Met Police. And that was after there was a huge drive for um, black and minority ethnics to join the police force. And this was, this came after the McPherson report, which, which um, was an inquest, was, which was basically a, a sort of 
a very detailed report into the flawed investigation um, into the death, the murder of Stephen Lawrence. So I was kind of swept up in that after university, just thinking, what, what do I want to do? A lot of my mates were moving into the city, uh, never really interested me. And I, I always had an interest in the police, I, uh, just in terms of, it was something magical about the fact that someone could commit a heinous crime like a rape or a murder and, you know, a week, two weeks, a couple of months later, there'd be an announcement that this guy had been arrested. And I just thought, wow, how, how did they do that? I've, I've always had that interest. In, interest. And, uh, yeah, I think everyone has got a kind of interest with, with cop shows as well. So mm. it was always my intention to... When I, when I decided, you know, that I was going to join the police, um, you know, I'm from a rough neighbourhood in in West London, White City, which, yeah, it was, you know, it was council estates, it was rough, all of that. And, you know, my, my younger brother has since told me that he got into a lot of fights because I joined the police, which he never really told me at the time because he, he wanted to shield me from that. But um, that that was interesting to hear. But, yeah, I was, I was confident that I, I was doing the right thing despite certain issues from people in my area, which, um, you know, I've been called a traitor, coconut, all this kind of stuff, um, which always used to confuse me because I, I wasn't sure who I was a traitor to. Was it to rapists and murderers and killers um, and the like? So, you know, I've, I've always had a strong sense of self in terms of where my head's at. Uh, so joined the police, did two years, naturally, yeah, did 18 months uh, in uniform, which I loved, it was great, but my goal was always to be a detective, and um, and that's where my sort of path led, so I then went on to be a trainee detective, you're dealing with minor crimes, you're dealing with um, I see fraud investigations, minor frauds, uh, criminal damage, those sorts of things. And then you're slowly progressing as you get more experience to more violent crime, actual bodily harm, grievous bodily harm, uh, things like that. So I did that for about 10 years. I worked in Islington, which was an amazing... Oh, that's where I'm from, Islington. Yeah. Love London. <laughs> That's my area. Holloway Road. Oh, Holloway Road. Yeah. Up and down those streets a lot. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I, I, I wanted to get as much experience in different areas of, of detective work. So I was in a drugs unit, you know, which was great fun, playing clothes, knocking on doors, knocking down doors and doing drug raids. Oh my days, you might have like been that. at my house. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I'll have to get your details after, pass them to my mates. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, you know, firearms offences, all, all that sort of malarkey. I've worked in uh, what was called then the Sapphire Unit, which was basically rape investigations, uh, which again was really interesting. So, yeah, 10 years just doing a variety of different things, robbery, burglary, specialising in different areas before I moved from there 
to specialise in homicide. So then I moved to what's called, called the Murder Squad around 2010. Spent five years there, just, you know, having a, a vast experience in terms of the types of the types of murder investigations that were taking place, not just your uh, inner city gang related things um, investigations, but we also had you know some very some fairly high profile missing person cases going on, um, which was interesting. A lot of serial rape cases because were, were passed on to us as well um yeah so again just i love that area of work i was i think I was, i've always been drawn to drawn to just trying to catch bad people um in that sense i, I think with um with police isn't it it's it's sort of like problem solving is the way to approach it. Like if you're if you're a good problem solver, you're going to go in and solve the problem of the crime, and that's sort of, <clears throat> I guess the appeal. Yeah, absolutely. Especially around with with detective work. I mean, one of one mm. of the main reasons I joined the police was I just thought the the array of options as a career were just so vast. You know, if you if you love dogs, you could be a dog handler. If you if you're mm. into sort of um, uh, you know, d- detective work, you can work in my area. If you want to fly helicopters, there's an area for that. Um, if you're into antiques, there is a, a specialist investigation that deals with stolen antiques. Do you, do you know what I mean? The, 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 the vast, oh, wow. it was just so vast that I just, I always thought it was a very interesting career to, to pursue, despite the issues and or around race um and all of that that noise of it being institutionally racist which was the main headline to come from the mcpherson report um yeah i I, i've always i just feel i've I've just had a great you know thus far and even to to what i'm doing now so after the murder squad i went to southwark which is you know, very impoverished area, really uh, just a, a lot of social issues in that area, which translates into a sort of very high crime rate of various degrees. So I went there on promotion as a detective sergeant and I just learned a lot, you know, just managing managing teams uh, was very different to being my own sort of individual investigating things and that just brought a different aspect to things. Um, and then moved on to a current role where I'm working in Scotland Yard again in a sort of, uh, in a detective role. Yeah, so that's, that's me. Oh my God, that's a long journey. I think that's pretty much, yeah. I mean, I was only born 18 years ago, so I don't, can't even imagine <laughs> that length of time of work. <laughs> I will say that <laughs> pretty much my entire life. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Um, but do you know what I've got like I, well I have a lot of questions to ask because uh, I'm quite interested just about um, sort of your journey because you said when you first started um, and your brother who I don't know what the right word is but I think I can only say nobly kept what had happened to him 
away from you to not, um, I don't know, put that pressure on you, make you feel like you need to change your vocation or anything like that. Um, and that people called you all different names. And I assume when you say that people called you a traitor, were you saying that black people said that you're a traitor and a coconut? Yeah, it was, it was more... Um, that was from... So I, I remember distinctly when I used to live at my mum's house when I first started. I'd be walking to White City Station and just kids in the area who, you know, we'd all grown up of various ages. You, you, everyone knows each other in, in an estate. And mm, for when, sure. word, when word got out that I was joining the police, yeah, it was all sorts of terms. So from Coconut, uh, Jake's, Jake's is a sort of street slang for... for cops uh you know fed uh, all this sort of stuff so there was a mix of racial connotation from some kids uh and and this was black and white but they were Mm. you know they were shouting from a distance so it it was never right in my face it was all stuff being being shouted out do you know what i mean uh in a cowardly way but yeah that's that's it I i was just thankful that that we weren't really targeted. I wasn't really targeted. Although, I, you know, I, I yeah, I, I had conversations with people. Uh, I used to play football when I first joined as well. And uh, I used to play football with uh, some local mates. And one of these guys was clearly, something I, I kind of realised later, but he, he was into criminal activity. And he was like, yeah, when you told me that you joined the police, I couldn't believe it. And I've, I've had to call off some boys who wanted to do you in. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is, it, it, it was odd, but I never really took it to heart because nothing really happened. And I don't know, there's just a certain confidence that comes with with joining with joining the police force, you just you just understand how how the how the machinery works and and the level of influence that you have as a police officer, even on a street level. I mean, I would definitely agree with that for sure. Um, and it's I'm I somehow really grateful or thankful that nothing had happened to you because I think it would be a step too far for someone just to just by you choosing a career for yourself that you should then be physically assaulted in any way like i think that would be absolutely ridiculous i guess it would put people in a difficult position maybe people treat you differently because you know to an extent i say you know we all do things that we probably think maybe by breaking the law i do i say everyone i know that i'll do somewhere i'm a bit like is this completely legal (laughs) but i don't want to also (laughs) (laughs) but i also don't want to like, you know, I'd be like, shall I... Because we're getting to know each other, and I know you through rugby, for sure, you know. But I'm yeah. like... And I'm joking about, like, my brother and stuff. But um, I've been, I'd say, somewhat open about the fact that in where I grew up and my family and friends, there's, it's always been surrounded around drugs, right? It's always been in my life. And I think it's been why I've got such an, like, aspersion to it. Like, I've, um, I have a real unsettled way around drugs myself. I'm not someone who, like... Uh, who feels comfortable around them. And I think that's why. Um, me, in the past, I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable saying that to you or someone else that I would speak to because 
I guess in the back of your mind, you'd always think like, oh, well, he's going to then sort me out or something. Do you know what I mean? Um, and do you think that anyone's behaved differently to you in that respect, where you think maybe it's been a blocker to you actually having, a, I don't know, relationships or getting to know people? Um, yeah, I, well, I know of a really good friend from university who cut me off. Um, he, yeah, when he, when he found out that I joined, he cut me off um, and then regretted it. You know, years later, sort of came back and apologised. Um, you know, did he say we, why? We, yeah, no, we, we talked it out, but I, he said. I mean, he made his feelings clear at the time when I said I joined, um, because we were at uni together, and yeah, he, you know, there's all sorts of fun that we might have had at university. But when I left university, I was in Manchester, and when I came down to London, I think my mindset was very much right. I need to sort my life out. And he wasn't quite on the same tip. Uh, we've, you know, we've got mutual friends and all this sort of stuff, but it was, I think he felt really affronted because we were very close. And, um, yeah, you know, and that was it. So we didn't talk for about four or five years until later on he, he just, yeah, um, he invited me to a gathering. He was moving to Australia and, and invited me there. And then we had a bit of a sit down and a, and a heart to heart. And uh, yeah, we're friends, you know, we're friends now. But I, I, I do remember that because it hurt a lot at the time. Mm. Um, is, he, is he black as well? No, no, he's a white guy. Oh, and so that surprised me, I guess, because I was going to ask... Do you get a different response from white people and black people? If, in your um, experience. Do I get a different response? It's, it's really hard to quantify. I think everyone, uh, you know, being a Londoner, which is so diverse, so many diverse characters, mm. there's, there's a sense of... Um, there's, a, there's a cultural reaction, I think, so if I go to a black barbers, I don't, you know, I don't talk about it. Um, it's oh, not I can't imagine. Or, yeah. <laughs> I could not even imagine a police officer going into a black barbers talking. <laughs> yeah, just exactly. Just, I, I just wouldn't do that. Just one, I think generally when I'm on the street and I'm not, and I'm off duty, you just got to, uh, just keep as much as, as, as much close to your chest as possible. And, you know, I've seen in barbershops stolen property being moved around, you know, people doing various things which might be seen as shifty um, under a, a bit more investigation. But I'm there to get my hair cut and I want to leave there safely. And I'm always on duty in a sense, even when I'm off duty, but my my safety always comes first so i can get back to the family so absolutely that's 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 an interesting one in terms of reaction yeah maybe maybe i would say broadly from more white people if we're going to split it into a racial if there's a racial distinction maybe there's more intrigue um in terms of what i do and, and the role, but 
but you know, as time's moved on, that's definitely changed. That's definitely changed. Where you know, I'd say there's just equal interest from various groups, and yeah, I've, I haven't really had anything negative. It, it's always quite interesting at, at dinner parties or whatever when you you're just making conversation that that seems to be be of interest to people. So that's all good. Um, before you became. So before you became a policeman, say like, I don't know, you grew up in London um, and as a teenager or anything like that, have you had, did you have any experiences with the police um, up until you applied? Yeah, good. that's a really good question. Um, I had, and they were a mix of, yeah, positive and negative. So... The uh, my main interactions were, you know, when, when I was a when I was younger, say between the ages of uh, six and ten, six and eleven. Uh, my there was a lot of domestic violence going on in my house, so we were calling the police a lot. And um, God, you you wouldn't even know about this, but. Back in those days, there were telephone boxes that you'd run outside and use. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I just remember distinctly running, running out with my older sister into a telephone box and, and calling the police, and them coming round, and just this look of, of, yeah, just, just, just this look of, wow, this is. This this is a mess. We need that. We need to clear up um, in terms of the police. I couldn't really comprehend what their role was in the situation, but they were just there to help keep the peace in our household. Uh, so that was that was my earliest interactions, and then later, later for me, they became an odd sense of refuge because during the age during my teenage years um i'd gone through like my a, a younger sister of mine had had sadly she was killed in a roadside accident and um just living in my house was pretty it just wasn't pleasant it wasn't particularly pleasant so i, I remember i used to go to a police station take myself to a police station sometimes after school if I'd if I wasn't going to a mate's house and just just stay there for far too long I'd, I'd take myself to a police station and just pretend that I'd lost I'd, I'd lost my way home and just wait for a police officer to take me home which was it was looking back that was just my it was a cry for help and all that sort of stuff in terms of things I was going through but I remember that. I remember that. In terms of the negative, no, I've got no stories of, you know, aggressive stop and search and and that kind of thing. Um, I've been stopped. Uh, I hadn't got a Nigerian friend who's one of my best mates. And we were out with one of his friends who was really loaded. So... He had a Porsche, and we were we were about nineteen, twenty, 
driving around West End in this Porsche. And I, and I remember us getting pulled over. But again, nothing happened from that. So it wasn't, I didn't really think, oh, the, you know, the police are, are victimising us or, or anything like that. I didn't, mm. didn't really register um, in, that, in that way. So, yeah, so that, that's, that's all I say around that in terms of my, my interactions with police. Um, yeah, it's weird when you're growing up and I guess um, your, your interaction with the police or your experience with the police, no matter who you are, could sort of guide your impression of whether you as an adult look at them as a, a role of support or a role of abuse. Mm. Um, I've, you know, I think my earliest encounter with the police was whenever I played Resident Evil 2 and I was that Leon guy who his first day had to <laughs> save, save the world from um, umbrella, the Umbrella Corporation. But no, I, again, I grew up, uh, obviously in, in Northern Ireland, there was a lot of contention with the police as well. Yeah. Um, very heavily Protestant, um, would very heavily abuse the Catholic community. Mm. Um, I grew up in the Catholic community, so I was sort of weird. I was very neutral between the lines because just politically we were brought up not to take sides because um, a lot of our family was targeted in the past and murdered in the past and the troubles so my grandparents kept us very much neutral and right uh, no opinion so to me we never i never had any bad encounter with police they're always there to kind of you know come and protect us from whatever else was going around yeah and, you know do do their job but that doesn't mean i i'm not aware of the history of them turning a blind eye to catholics and you know, targeting Catholics, and um, mm. so it is. It is weird. Like if you ask different people here, uh, and we spoke, we spoke before in, in the last episode how, like in Ireland, it's not so much a, it's not so much a, a black versus white racism. But back in our back in when the troubles were gone, it was a very much a Protestant versus Catholic. I don't know if it's racism. Yeah, but, you know, segregation anyway. Mm. But, um, so it, I'm, I'm sort of like. It's odd to watch what's happening now because it sort of mir mirrors what was happening 20, 30 years ago here in this country and what I grew up in. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it's it. I guess it's it's nice to have you on and hear hear your side of things, especially I guess what's what's going on now. You've you'll have quite a unique perspective on things, given your race and your job as well. Sure, sure. Um. Yeah, this is it. I have to say, this week has been um, enlightening, uh, tragic in some in in a lot of respects. But I'm a hopeful person, and I'm really seeing. Uh, I don't think I've seen discussions about race in made in this way ever. Um, mm. I'm having conversations with people, white and black, um, people who are in the police force and not in the police force, who, just about this topic. And everyone has just been extremely open. And people that I consider to be very progressive in their thinking are saying to me, Rash, what do you think we can do more of? What, what do we need to do? And... Um, I, I truly believe it's a, it's a watershed moment. I really do. I really do. I'm really hoping that I it's quite that pivotal. Well. 
as a, I'm hoping that, yeah. I mean, that's one of the questions. So um, I want to talk about the protests because I actually went to one of the protests in London today. So there was one um, that started outside of the US embassy and then there was a march towards uh, parliament and then to 10 Downing Street where the prime minister lives. Yeah. And um, people were speaking and I guess one of the things about the protests in the UK and in London at the moment is there isn't a, an absolute clear, almost, I don't want to say, well, I do want to say an absolute clear purpose for the protest itself um, apart from bringing to light the issues, systemic issues that are both in, that are in the US and that mm. some are recognising here. Um, do you... Do you have any experience in terms of, I don't know, are the police racist is the question I'm going to ask, in your opinion. <laughs> say it I like as it how is. you nearly worded that. <laughs> you nearly worded say that in a very... I ran out of words. So I... I was reading my dictionary and I was like, <laughs> no, the book has now ended. Just, just don't hold back. Um, right. <laughs> okay. Um, you know what? I'm 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 going to deliberate over how I how I explain this, just because the issue is is a layered one. It's the answer is it's it's complex in a way. Um, as we mentioned, as as I mentioned, you know, uh, the police have been um, what's the word uh, branded with the term institutionally racist and that was 20 years ago and I believe that that was a watershed moment for the police force and it meant that a number of initiatives and drivers happened within the police force um, in terms of their just just even the way just as an example um, the way murder investigations were were being undertaken completely changed after that because there was a high volume of black families um, who were who would come into contact with police around this. Their experience had always been, or you know, the majority had been very negative. That was completely transformed, whereby you have something like that, that's now a family liaison officer, who is that conduit between an investigation and a family. Um, I don't want to sort of maybe maybe I'm going off the issue by going into certain examples, but that the McPherson report was a real game changer for the police, and in terms of the way it addressed not only the black community, but diversity, it, it really held the mirror up and said, right, we need to change. What are we going to do? We need more visible um, black and minority ethnic officers in for a start. You know, we can't have a solely white, uh, majority white police force policing London. Um, that is, that's been part of the problem. Um, and, yeah, and that's where I came in. You know, two years after the McPherson report, I was, I joined the police 
And I was involved in, you know, stop and search scenarios when I was in uniform and not in uniform. But my approach was, there was never a sense of, it, just the way I approached people meant that we either walk, both walked away safe um, with a degree of respect in the interaction or that person was being arrested because a flagrant crime had been committed and that's whether they've, you know, if, if they've got possession of knife or drugs or, or anything like that, then, then that's what happened. But I never had a negative experience. Um, and that's the reason um, why uh, just understanding the need for different nationalities to be brought into the police, or, or different backgrounds, I should say. Because I consider myself black British, um, English, uh, and I have that African heritage. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's why I say that it's, it's a multi-layered answer. I've, I've faced, I've had racist incidents in the police. Um, uh, By with, police which, officers, are you saying, towards you? Yeah, 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 for sure. And, and, and I'll ha you know, happily explain those and, and explain those scenarios. But what I would say is that that is a reflection of society. Um, you know, the police are a reflection of our society. Um, I've had a myriad of racist incidents in society, you know what I mean? Not, not linked to my job at all. So, yeah, I, I, I hope that goes some way to answering your question. The fact that I've had racist incidents doesn't mean I consider the police forced to be a racist organisation. I do believe that the tag of institutional racism... Um, being such a major force, a major driver uh, in 70s, 80s, 90s was the case. And I believe that the organisation are addressing that and are making the steps to address it. Um, but yeah, the, the journey still needs to be made and with, they're still on that journey as a police force. So. I, um, I was reading a thing today that um, there was a debate what some people think that and this is more spe this is more specific in the states than than the UK but people were arguing that you know the police get too much funding and it's you know they have to have their funding cut whilst another approach was um, no they're not getting enough funding um, they need to have more funding and that money needs to be invested into like growing police officers mm. so you know like is it like psychological training um somebody was saying how they could if they get into a scenario train them in like brazilian jiu-jitsu so that you know they don't feel compelled to always reach for a gun to handle a situation they can use like body weight and movement to sort of like combat scenarios that are going to maybe escalate to something else sure um and, and to me that was that was it was an insightful way to to look at it. I think um, what's coming out of the the current climate around the world, and it's you know it, it's and what makes me like I remember 
I think we, we chatted on about how this, this one seems a bit different, this, this sort of incident. Um, to me, it seems massively different. And I, I felt this for about a week or so. Just sort of the, the way it's growing and, 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 it, and you know, obviously it, it, it's much, much massive, like much, much more massive than we would have thought. Like yeah. two weeks ago, we would never even thought the world would be protesting and, and rioting and looting and stuff. Like we were all still thinking we'd be trapped in some COVID coma. Mm. But um, uh, I've lost my train of thought. But um, yeah, no, I... I I, I thought it was an inter- interesting, interesting perspective yeah. to um, like grow the police in some way rather than sort of take away stuff. Sure. No, that that is interesting. There has to be just distinctions around UK police and the the US police with, and there is a lot of conflation of issues around this because you know this has been sparked by an incident in the US. And suddenly we're seeing over here um, the the Black Lives Matter movement really taking hold over here as well. So there are definite, definite sort of links. However, in terms of the police force, the fact that they're armed, like every, what we would call a bobby on the beat, has a firearm. That is a fundamental difference between um, them and us. Uh, and I think well, I grew when I when I grew up, police here had police here had guns. Police where? That was police here in Northern Ireland. Oh sure, guns. sure. Um, it was. I, I remember moving to England and being like, "Why doesn't we have guns?" <laughs> mm. Yeah, I just find it strange that they don't have guns. Sure, uh, and yeah, it, it, and that must create a different, just a different urgency. I think for a police officer. I'm not sure that I would do the job that I do if I had to carry a gun. The idea of yeah. the idea that I could do a job that meant I would more than likely be put in a position whereby I have to kill someone or potentially kill someone with a firearm. It's a different job to go into, um, and the def- different considerations. We've got specialist firearms units. I guess a big difference as well is a big difference is in the states everyone can have a gun, so yeah. it's yeah. sort of like it's like a balance. Yeah. Um, and then here it wasn't so much that anyone could have a gun, but you know there were shitloads of guns about here. Yeah. So it was you know again it was a protection thing. So. Yeah. Um, and your fund the the point around funding is is really interesting. I I would say the police need funding. Um, anyone who says that our funding needs to be cut just doesn't I just don't think understands the issues that policing is going through um, at the moment you know we're talking about police stations that are dilapidated you know we're talking about equipment that's used which isn't up-to-date fit for purpose um, the volume of work, the volume of crime, I should say, um, being such that there aren't enough, um, you know, cars taking out officers. Um, I'm not even sure if I'm speaking out of turn by by mentioning this sort of things, but 
I'm just speaking from someone who has been faced with those sort of situations. Um, so, it, yeah, anyone says that the police should have their funding cut really just doesn't understand the seriousness of what they're saying. Um, and funding as well, it, it seems to work differently in different parts of the police. So you've got, you know, counter-terrorism policing have, there are different funding channels for that area of policing. And then you've got your mainstream policing um, in terms of, you know, answering calls that come in via 999 and, and just general investigations. Again, that's a different funding channel. But um, yeah, I think it's it's anyone who comes into contact with the public. I think would need um, it, as a large part of their job comes into contact with the public because the to me the the way to me the way police training needs to change to reflect the way society is changing. Um, yeah, like I I discovered this week or a couple of weeks ago that you can have a thing which is a mental health first aider, um, which I had never heard of before. Mm. But you do a a weekend course which is like a qualified course mm. and you're, you're then a classified mental health first aider um, and all, all types of things like that need to sort of, I guess the, to me the police need to be trained in and, and, and knowledge in to help tackle modern day problems yeah ab- absolutely and the you know the modern day police officer is carrying a lot of different responsibilities and and wearing different hats, as you mentioned, you know, men- mental health yeah. is one issue. Um, being averse um, in communicating with young people, um, you know, highly, you know, kids who have been abused in, in whether it's physically or or psychologically. Um, gosh. The amount of different areas that, yeah, just just even domestic violence, um, understanding the issues and the nuances that go with that, you know, that you can have a victim of, you know, severe domestic violence who will do everything that they can to sabotage the investigation just so because of their own inbuilt fear of the suspect. Um, you know, just, just very, just, just mind blowing. Dif- different levels of, of, um, of different aspects to, to dealing with the public. That, um, yeah, officers need to be skilled in. Yeah. What kind of? So um, I mean, so over your time, when we're talking about sort of like, you know. Uh, providing more resources for the police. Is, has there been any sort of training or development? Because the things that you'd spoken about were mostly like, I'd say, you know, um, physical things, the buildings, cars, tools that you need to use. But what kind of training um, is there for looking after the police's own mental health and well-being, but also things like um, non-biased training when it comes to gender inequality, racial inequality, do you have anything like that that you've noticed within the past, I don't know, well, at any point during your, yeah. your career? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Very, various courses on diversity awareness, um, various training courses in terms of um, how to handle 
suspects or prisoners when they are um, handcuffed or in a vulnerable position. Um, I have to say the police are very good around that and really picking up on, on, any, on any issues that, that occur globally. They'll, they'll take those examples and say, well, look, these officers did this um, and caused the death of, um, of a prisoner or, or, or a suspect. Um, they're getting better around mental health awareness, not only of, of members of the public, but our own staff. You know, it's, mm. it, that, that's really come to the fore. Uh, as, yeah, and, as well as the myriad of issues that staff might face in dealing with very traumatic um, situations, you know, which can affect people in different ways. So yeah, I would I would say yes. There there is a lot of training that goes into it. Um, there's a lot of input that goes into officers. Um, it's hard to say whether it's enough or not. You know, there's there comes a point where you're just you get the training, but your your experience lies in the real life jobs that you deal with. Mm. It's it's quite interesting what you're saying about sort of. Um, so when you first started, there was a push for more non-white people, you know, black people, to join the police. Because I was in the protest today, it still stood out to me that I was looking at the police, and I would say maybe I don't know somewhere between sort of one in ten, maybe a bit less, were people of color of any kind. Mm. So we we saw this like line of police going by, and in one of them, every single person I saw were. I perceived as white, you know, um, yeah. in that situation. And then uh, it was very, very sparse. And I don't know if that was in relation to the situation that we're currently in. Does that reflect the police? Are there like numbers or are there, have you seen the number of um, non-white people growing within the police? Yeah, you know what? I don't have any figures. I haven't got any figures to hand. I would, no, 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 on, no. On, on, a, on a sort of visual, on a visual aspect, there's definitely a sense of, more ethnic minorities coming into the police. But, you know, it's widely known within the police force as well that the retention rate um, isn't very good. So a lot of... But, that, but that's also happening... Uh, there's, a, there's a new trend that's also happening that new joiners aren't necessarily joining for life in the way that they were... Uh, 20, 30 years ago, you know, the police used to be a job for life. Now there's that sense that it's a job for maybe 10 years, get get as, as skilled up in it as, as possible and people are moving on into the corporate world or or just other yeah. other areas of work. So... The, I have, um... Yeah. Just some stats here. Uh, the police force this is taken from as of March 2019, 93.1% of police officers were from a white ethnic group and 6.9% were from other ethnic groups. Wow. And you wow. just got that now? That's 2019. And is, 2019 so is that nationally or is that the NPS? Is that the UK? Uh, I'm guessing it's going from England and Wales because this website's for England and Wales. Sure. It's the gov. You know, just gov.uk mm. so it says at the end of March 2019 93.1% of police officers wow. 
were from a white ethnic group and 9.6. Mm. 4% and I, of senior officers were Asian, black, mixed or other. I find, yeah. I mean, because that's why I guess I really struggle is like <clears throat> um, seeing so many, so few when I was out today, you know, uh, the protest almost exclusively target, almost not completely, it's targeted towards the police force. And I felt a certain level of empathy, I must admit, when the police had to walk through these crowds of people. And there are a couple of instances where the protesters, I would say the majority of it was peaceful where I was. And I know yesterday it was peaceful during the day because some of our friends who we all know were there. And then there were some troubles in the afternoon and the evening time. Um, the police, from my experience and just what I saw, and it's going, were at no point in any way um, inciting anything. I don't even think they really interacted unless they were spoken to. I'd seen like a number of people having conversations with uh, protesters around. Some looked relatively heated, some looked like conversations, which is it's great. Um, but then they were walking through and some people were just, you know, it, I, you know, I would say relatively small, but unnecessary where they're just boo. Some people were actually saying like pigs, um, but then some people were just saying some things and I'm like, um, it, it did make me, that is a high pressure situation I can imagine. And it's very tense and at no point, you know, the, the, in this instance, the police handled it really well because, um, so often in these protests, they're being told that they are the one inciting um, riots, which I, I'm not saying they don't. I'm definitely not saying that they don't. I think that these high pressure situations may be, I've witnessed police coming far too hard in certain situations. Um, and my most humiliating like time, the reason why I have such a negative view of the police is because I felt like I was humiliated by the police um, unnecessarily, especially because I consider myself a non-criminal, despite what I said earlier. Um, and so I, I felt like the police in that situation were heavy handed, I would say. Um, in this instance, it, it's not the case for every single person. It's not the case for every single police officer. But if those facts are somewhat true, then I, I would challenge what you're saying, Rash, about the fact that maybe it has grown or there's a better understanding because there's still not a full representation of, you know, the white white people would still hold a majority stake and apart from being a police officer have that guilt of you know or pressure or whatever you want to call it hey everyone um ashley here i'm just jumping in to let you know that at this point of the conversation sadly rash cut out for a good 10 minutes um but he did pick it back up and we will jump back in to the section where he um joins us again so i apologize should things seem a little bit um disjointed thank you mm. and i would say even today was i felt like both i felt like the police were respectful in doing their job and that although it is their job people will be like in any profession should people be commended for doing their job and i think to a certain level people should be because it's not easy to hold or maintain a certain level of a certain standard, I would say. And today I would take it in mind that we were having a peaceful protest, in my opinion, and the police were complicit in keeping the peace. Despite the fact that in a few small instances, some young people who felt the need to shout slurs at the police were almost looking to poke the bear. Um, and the police should be trained and well enough to be able to handle certain situations, blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, I, I, 
this whole situation, one thing has taught me is that we need to be more open. And I want to believe that there are good people only because I've met Rash, uh, my housemate, um, people that I know that have joined the police. There are good people. I do fundamentally believe that the system that we're working in is skewed towards certain demographics. And that is what needs to change. I don't think the... In I don't think in most cases the individuals need to change. Representation needs to be better. That's 100% like clear. As I believe I believe that in any situation if the majority is skewed one way, if ev if everyone is a white male, if everyone's white, they'll have white people's interests at heart. Um fundamentally because they don't know other people's experiences and then not because of any other reason apart from not living the experience of a black person, an Asian person whatever it is, a female, a transgender person, a gay person. And that needs to change. But I'd like to believe that the individuals that work within the system are doing the best that they can. And mm. that what the changes that need to be made are beyond individuals. There are individuals in every situation. We've got individuals, protesters, who are literally making it worse for everybody else. They're quite literally doing that. Um, and, and that's the same for the police. It's the same for my place of employment, for other people's. Um, but I will continue to have these conversations. I would like to keep an open mind. I don't know if I'll ever get over my experience in that respect. And I don't think I should. Um, I just don't hold it against the police that I see in front of me, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that just having a dialogue, just keeping that dialogue open, uh, that, mm. that needs to happen. And... Yeah, there are a lot of things that the the police has to change. Um, as long as they they're moving in the direction of trying to sort them out, I think is is why I'm still hopeful. Hmm. I think we have to be. I honestly think we have to be because if we're not, then there's no point in going on the protest. There's no point um, having these conversations. Really, I think I think we have to be hopeful. I think. As black people, we have to be hopeful. I am thankful that the white people um, or people that are not black, because this is a black issue at the moment. It's not the only issue, but right in this moment, you know, it is a, a black um, issue. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm thankful that the white people that are there are hopeful that they can help a change as well. Because if I, I've been having conversations, even close to, to me, I'm talking about family members and you know we're minorities who are saying there's no point they're just saying there's no point and and if you get to that point I, it just doesn't i'm like well well we may as well just give up on everything you know yeah yeah I, I, and I, I i agree i i agree with that sentiment i i'm really hopeful um just the level of uh understanding and detail that I've seen this week from from mates, and just even the 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 notion that they they really do want to find out a bit more. I want to find out more um, about why we're in this particular uh, we're in this particular place. So um, I think if everyone's thinking like that, it's it can only be a good thing. It's what a crazy year, you know, this twenty twenty. Uh, the, you know, the COVID pandemic has has made everyone think differently about their lives, and this has now come along, and again has has just added another 
um, another layer to that in terms of how we live as a society. As a society. Uh, I think mm. it's it could be it could be a pivotal year in in like the human race's future, but we'll see. Absolutely. Um, Rash, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, thank you for for letting me. Um, yeah, just just say my side of things. It's it's really is um, helpful to me as well. Just voicing this stuff is great. Mm. I, I would say, like, I mean, we've had loads of conversations before, and I think we'll have more. But it just shows your one thing I admire about you is your actual strength of character. You have that strong sense of self, like you said at the beginning, um, but are still able to open up and talk to people because I have and will openly challenge you. Your friend who decided to cut you off to still be able to go to the back to that. I, you know, not many people will be able to do that and be so willing and open and accepting. Um, and I think that you set a great example for any human being to, I don't know, build human interactions and facilitate that. So I thank you a lot and I do really look forward to having more conversations, I will say that. Great. No, and I, and I feel, feel the same about um, you guys in terms of, you know, when I started listening to you, I just thought your honesty and authenticity that, that comes through on the show every week um, whether you're talking about something serious or something more light-hearted, um, I just I just love the realness about it, and that's that's why I was keen to to come on and and um, you know have a conversation with you, and um, and obviously the, I I'd picked up on your your earlier slagging off <laughs> of the police in the, for some previous podcast, so it, 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 I'm glad we got a chance to. Sit down and break bread. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We did give you a hard oh. time. <laughs> um, not we, not we. Well, Ashley's <laughs> only had positive experience with the police, isn't it? They've always been like, hello, sir, how may I shine your shoes? <laughs> <laughs> and I've always tipped my hat right back up. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, yeah. Ashley's right, a good then. boy. Listen, I'm a good boy. <laughs> I was a perfectly good boy. Oh my goodness! Listen, I'll tell you what happened afterwards, and you'll be like, "Wow, um, <laughs> it's not my fault." I promise you. Right. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Rash, thank you very much for coming on and and, and talking about your experience. Um, hopefully, it wasn't as scary as you made out before we hit that record button. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, thanks, guys. You made me feel very comfortable. Right. And, um, yeah, no, I, I hope it works when we listen back. Yes. Oh, I'm sure it'll be brilliant. Um, nice stay one. safe, Rash. Yeah, thanks keep, a lot. Keep doing what you're doing. Cool. Yes. Take care. All right. Bye-bye, right. Ashley. Thank you. Bye-bye, Matt. Thank you for another good episode. Yes. I should have a good sleep tonight. I just had a bath after my long day of protesting, so I'm looking forward to it. And uh, thank you, lovely listeners, for another week. Yay. Bye-bye. Right, bye, everyone. Bye.